nervous on this podcast when I run out of friends to talk to and I have to talk to strangers about it. I'm like, oh. No, you'll, you're doing oh, no. great. It'll be great. You, and also, it's like, I feel like you're, it's going to take you a while to like run out of friends, you know? Oh, nice. Thanks. You'd be surprised. I'm, I'm coming towards the end. <laughs> Welcome and thank you for listening to Almost Almost Famous, the podcast where actors, writers, comedians talk about the ups and downs, ebbs and flows of working towards making it in this crazy biz and how they're almost almost famous. I'm your host, Daniel Acker, and today's guest has been on Key and Peele, American Housewife, Florida Girls, and more. It's the always funny, always fantastic, Courtney Peroso. Hi, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm great. We, we just had this uh, conversation off, off mic, though. I don't know why I did it again. It just seems... The, like the polite, normal thing to do. It seems like the natural thing. I totally get that. It's like we just had, we just had a little chit-chat before we started yeah. recording. And yet when someone says like, hey, like the natural thing is to go right back and be like, and how are you? Exactly. I mean, it could have changed, you know? Like mm-hmm. maybe it could have changed. But yeah. you look great and you seem great. But uh, <laughs> let's talk about why I'm not famous, I guess. <laughs> yeah. That's, well, with that, through doing this business for, for a while, what would you say, or have you come up with a personal like definition of success for yourself? Well, I, d- I, was, I was thinking about that because I think that's something that I have to define more sharply for myself and it would be helpful, you know, in terms of like manifesting or I don't know if you want, I don't know if I want to say that word, but I just did. But I, I mean, I think there are like facets, you know, like I know that for my personal <laughs> peace of mind and the fact that I'm probably going to have to live, like, if I'm lucky, like, twice as long as I've already been alive, you know, like, for longevity, I would like to make money at some point. And, you know, like, I've sort of been operating on a zero dollars, you know, situation where it, like, kind of, I could just keep, I keep surviving and, like, floating along, but, you know, wealth accumulation in some to some degree would be helpful. But of course, it's like not about that. I think when I, 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 w- I want to keep doing what I'm doing, like, for more money. <laughs> like, like, but in terms like, I'm grateful that I do things where I work with my friends. I'm like grateful that I like, create my own material. I'm grateful when somebody cool asks me to like, be a part of their thing. Like, that's great. I love my life. I just like, want to keep that going. And be sustainable with that and have the projects grow and continue I I guess and like being a person that like cool people that I admire can be like ah Courtney can do that that's great let's just have Courtney do it like that's kind of where I hope I will you know fall the idea of like you know money is nice and I guess the riches and fames are a byproduct but it's more about a consistent forward progression through like us internal validation, but external as well of people being like, yeah, we like what you're doing. We want to work with you. Yeah. And also just like, I always am grateful when like, I feel so abundant in friendships and being surrounded by people that I admire, you know what I mean? Like that's what matters the most. So although maybe in another alternate timeline, I got an ABC family show when I was like 25 years old and I'm loaded and I have a pool I would have been cut off from like all these other riches, I'm going to call them in terms of like friendship and like artistic pursuits and all that shit, you know? But isn't that the dream to never need these friends? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I can't <laughs> wait. Though, so I can cut them all out of my life, you know? 
Um, you can just be like, uh, it's been fun. This is the real me. Exactly. But for me. now I have to mooch off them still, you know? So <laughs> you're describing the podcast right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, so I think, you know, I'd like, like, I think I need to expand my <laughs> self to where I can accept like a slightly more comfort for myself, you know, but I've been also my scrappiness has like helped me flourish in other areas, I think. Uh, what other areas do you feel like that's been like, you're glad you're scrappy? You know, I've had to forge my own way in terms of like, I had mm-hmm. to keep making stuff, you know, where maybe I wouldn't be motivated to do that if I was just relaxing. And ultimately those things I've had to work really hard for are the things I'm most proud of. So, um, so maybe I should hope to keep suffering, you know, for my art, but I'd like to find a balance. <laughs> well, it's like what necessity's the mother of invention. So you've hit moments where you're like, I have to do something. I have to create. I have to make something. Yeah. Where you're on that ABC Family Show, maybe, maybe you're just sitting by the pool and not being I creative. Know. I don't know why I'm always. It's always ABC Family, you know, which doesn't like, exist I co- anymore. I know exactly, but <laughs> I could have been okay. Whatever, who cares? Like, but you know, it's like I could have been like a rich, corny loser. You know, I'm like, <laughs> instead, I'm a broken, cool person. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, that's the uh, trade-off. Yeah, exactly. Not that everyone on the ABC Family Show is a corny loser, but you know, no. But the ones who are, they know who they are. They know who they are. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Let's say you get on that ABC Family Show or something. Do you have in your mind like an idea of like? first goal with this with this newfound riches and fame like are you like i'm getting that fridge or uh i mean i'd pay off my i'd pay off my debt <laughs> i really just want simple things and and i think like long like long term i mean i just love pools you know i think a pool would be like that's all i would think i was if i had my own pool i don't even know if my heart could handle it Gotcha. Yeah. But I, I want that, you know, that's like yeah. my luxury item that I dream for. Okay. Or in the meantime, a place where I could put a hot tub or put an inflatable hot tub. They're only 400 bucks. Great. You know, yeah. but baby steps, baby steps. Yeah. I like that. Cause I feel like early in this business when everyone's like younger, like there's more like luxury dreams of the money of like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And as you get older, like I'd like to pay off some debt. I like a, I like just a house with a pool, like just like stable oh, assets. Yeah. I mean, honestly, too, now I'm at a time where I'm like, I would love to afford to have a family. You know what I mean? Like, I would love to, I, I'm not in a relationship. There's no one trying to knock me up, but I would love to be able to let somebody do that to me one day. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. That's sort of a simple dream for, for me, you know? And to be able to do that and still like retain some of the freedoms I've acquired from my, you know, I don't know, my lifestyle or something. Now, why do you think a pool holds that place for you? Of like, this is good. I'm doing well. I mean, I think that's just like one of my favorite hobbies, if you can call that a hobby, is like pool lounging and pool swimming and water, you know, I just like a happy place for me. It's like pool and ocean and stuff. And, you know, even in, I like lounging around and doing jack shit, even in my studio apartment, you know, but if you're, if you have a pool to sit by, it kind of feels like more of a thing, you know? Yes. You deserve that cocktail instead of like ripping into like a white claw, you know, while you're like laying in in bed, you know? Yeah. I have a couch, which is what I do now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 
yeah, Drink, yeah. Drinking poolside, it's sort of like, whoa, they're really relaxing. Drinking yeah. bedside, it's like they're, they have a problem. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know. But yes, yes, yes. yes. It's, a, it's a different picture we're, we're painting, you know. Mm-hmm, yeah. For sure. Now, growing up, were you always like, I want to pursue comedy and acting and writing? Or did this develop like later? Well, my grandmother told me I was going to be an actress from the time I was like, she couldn't have known that. I'm sure I was like greatly influenced by that and just wanted to please. But I can't. I, so I think from an early age, I was like, I'm going to be an actress. I think I, when I was little, yeah, like I just kind of, I always just like thought and wanted to be like an actress or something. And I didn't find comedy until I moved to Los Angeles and kind of like realized I was like stupid. <laughs> I should do comedy because nobody would ever take me seriously. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, and I like did plays, like I liked all that shit. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm like a classic like dork loser like actress girl who's like I'm gonna be an actress and here I am you know 35 years old <laughs> having a great time you know I have a really fun exciting stupid life but but yeah so I kind of always wanted to I guess yeah that's amazing that your that your grandmother kind of was like I see this in you you're gonna be an actress like what if she was just like you're you're a butcher yeah I mean, it's because, like, she loved me and I was her favorite, which she told me and she wasn't supposed to do that. And my mom got mad at her. But, like, you know, she just was, like, she told me I was, like, special in this dumb way. And I was foolish enough to believe it. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but, but maybe she saw something, too. Like, if I was, like, expressive or, you know, I do mm-hmm. think that, like, I'm not, like, I'm a great actress. But, like, you know, you just do something for long enough and you're, like, yeah, I'm, I can fucking do this as well as anybody, you know. Yeah. Not as well as anybody, but you know, whatever. Yeah. I'll yeah. edit this so it's you saying like I'm better than Meryl Streep and <laughs> Yeah. Um Yeah. But I would say you are a great actress. I've seen you perform and you're fantastic. Growing up and when you did plays, was it typically like dramatic plays? And then when you came out to LA you were like, Oh wow, like I'm comedy's where it's at. I this is like my niche. This is what I'm good at. Or are you do you still have a feeling like I'd love to do some more drama? Um, I guess sort of both. Like, you know, when you're a kid, you're doing like musicals and like, what does that show? Like the the best Christmas pageant ever. Do you know that? You're Jewish. Do you yeah. Know yeah. I know about Christmas, but is that like Charlie Brown? <laughs> no, it's like, a, I don't know. It was the first play I did when I was like eight. And it's like, the show is like designed for like kids to play the parts but it's like about a christmas pageant where all the whole family of bad kids get cast as the leads in the christmas pageant show but it's like has a moving message or whatever but point is like i was you know got to play i was like a really good kid and i got to play a bad dirty kid who like got cast as an angel and like i remember like outside of this little community theater like rubbing real dirt on my face and being like i'm an actress you know like (laughs) whatever like i like that and then but you know that's like silly so I guess is you know comedy I don't know I but yeah like then like when I was like in college and stuff I was like doing more like physical theater like I kind of was like I'm a theatery like arty person and then I was like taking dumb like tv acting classes when I first moved to LA and really didn't like you know and I which made me hate myself as their designed to do so you like feel like you have to like worship somebody anyway but uh and then found the groundlings and then that's where I found like my people in terms of like you know comedy and like learn how to write for myself and then yeah does that answer your question 
It did. It wasn't a great question to begin with, but no, you it was good. I don't know. What I'm talking about like the first play I did, but I, I'm saying like you know, like when I was little, I was like, I love Jodie Foster. Like, what the fuck, you know? Like, so there is probably within me still like a desire to be taken seriously, but like, <laughs> so I would like to do both. I think you know, mm-hmm. but but ultimately, I think my like gift is my like stupidity, you know, which is good for comedy. Yes. I mean stupidity in a good way. Yes, you come by it honestly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just but, natural, yeah. <laughs> but I would say one thing that's really nice is a lot of the humor can come from playing it so real or so dramatically that it becomes comical. And I think you're able to like get into that sweet spot of like, I'm playing this as seriously, as real as I can. It's just heightened to this level where it's now comical. And it allows for people to like laugh and enjoy what you create. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, like I think a good comedian or a comedic actor or whatever is like playing it for real, you know? And I think that sometimes people do absurdism wrong because they're like commenting on the weirdness. There's like that Gene, what is it? Gene Hackman, not Gene Hackman, fucking Willy Wonka. What's his Gene name? Wilder. Gene Wilder. Jesus Christ. I mean, they're both great. Yeah. You know, he's like, he had this quote of like, you don't have to like act funny. You just like do something funny. You know what I mean? You don't have to like act funny while you're doing something funny. You just do the funny thing. Yeah. You don't need to like add this other layer on top of it, mm-hmm. which is a great, you know, it's a good thing to think about. Maybe. Yeah. Meanwhile, Gene Hackman has said nothing of note. <laughs> no, but he's comedy. great in the Royal Tenenbaums and so many other things. He is fantastic. You know? Now, maybe my facts are wrong and I may be just making this up, but you were, you, you were born in Japan, right? Or lived there? I lived in Japan for elementary school. Okay. I was born in Colorado, but I moved around a lot because my dad was military. Okay. Do you feel like that had an effect on performing or acting or getting into that? Because, you know, you're going maybe from different schools or meeting different people. Yeah, probably. Like, I think, first of all, like, sports change where you, like, go from place to place. But there's always some, there's always a bunch of kids doing, you know, like, theater or something. So it was, like, a a transferable, like, activity, I would say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, I think I just happened to be exposed to, like, a bunch of different places and people. And even though I was, like, a shy kid, I'm sure it, like, gave me some flexibility or something. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, in terms of identity, just because you're like moving all the time. So you see how different people react to you and whatever, you know, like you have to be, you have to like sort of become observant in order to survive, like moving around a lot. That being said, my childhood was extremely stable because my family unit was like really, like my mom was such a good mom in terms of like making everything okay when we moved every two years. Yeah, it wasn't as like, tumultuous as it could be it was just like oh okay now we're moving and then but the home unit was like so secure that you could yeah you weren't I guess striving or trying to figure out necessarily an identity especially in your home unit so it probably made going to school easier like I'm the new kid we'll be fine yeah and sometimes I was surrounded by lots of other new kids because that's the nature of like military bases Mm -hmm. but I mean I I do think that my childhood gave me like a really big like cushion for risk taking because I know my fam my family's so supportive even when you know like they're annoying or whatever like ultimately they're very supportive and also I was like had to constantly be like doing stuff that's like kind of scary for a kid and knowing that it would be okay Mm -hmm. so I think that is helpful definitely so you come out to LA you find kind of your home 
I guess for a moment, your people at the Groundlings, what was it about, I guess, there and that style that you gravitated towards? Drew Drogi, who you, was my a teacher who, well, he was like my second teacher for characters. And I think just like, I loved him and he made class so fun. And I just didn't know that I could really create for myself, you know? So in, when you're improvising as a character, you're like, I think I was like pleasantly surprised that I was able to conjure these different points of view or characters. And it was fun and not easy for me, I would say, but it was like felt natural, you know, and maybe like a way, you know, you get, you have more uh, agency as like a creator, a comedian than you do as like an actress. And like, this is what, like two, I moved there in two, I moved here in 2008, I want to say. Yeah. Like Obama, like, you know, early Obama decadence, (laughs) (laughs) but like, you know, like everything was like a, you know, like auditioning for stuff. Like I wasn't getting that many auditions. And when I did, it was like, you know, like some of the agents and like people I was dealing with were not the greatest at the time, but you know, like, I don't know if you had this when you like first moved to LA, well, you went to school Mm -hmm. here, but when I first moved to LA, you're like, take acting classes and you take workshops and you don't know what the fuck is going on. You're a complete total fucking idiot. And then like people that just, you know, anybody who's interested in you, like you have to learn that there's like people that are sharks and snakes and losers, like who are going to like try to take advantage of you. And I kind of like, I feel like that (laughs) that happened. And then comedy was like, God, this seems safer. Um, Does that make sense? (laughs) It does. It does. Yeah. And yeah, there is something, especially early starting out where you don't want to say no to almost like anyone or anything. It's sort of like, oh my gosh, like you're interested. Yeah. Like I'll be your client in this. And then as you go through this business and stay in it longer, you realize like the power of being like, no, thanks. I don't, I don't get a good feeling from you. Yeah, totally. And it's like, don't have enough experience to know that like someone's giving you a bad feeling or you don't have enough information to distrust them. So you're just like going along with things and then you learn and then you don't make the same mistake over and over again. We're going to stop to be like, okay, noted i'll be cautious on the next one yeah well even though you said you know improv and all that creativity wasn't easy i remember i first met you we did like a random groundlings improv class together and i was immediately blown away at like how easy you made it look you're very naturally comedically gifted where do you feel like your improv and character skills like originate from where do you draw inspiration Um, well, thank you. That's very nice. And I don't know, like, I think during like groundlings, I mean, when you're, you're just like, kind of like taking qualities from people that you've interacted with before or people that you feel critical of. Like, I think actually that's something that's shifted. I feel like when I was like writing characters for groundlings, like sometimes I would like gravitate towards like almost villainous people to me you know and but that but that had maybe a sweet quality or, or something but now I feel like my comedy has evolved more towards like turning the gun on myself you know what I mean <laughs> but that's like probably just the nature of you know when you're like doing characters you're like not that it should be about critique but you're like things that interest you or sometimes things that anger you or things that like annoy you and so maybe, you know, it's that. And now I feel like I'm really focused on things that annoy me about myself, <laughs> you know. Mm. Um, maybe it's not so intellectual. Also, at Groundlings, sometimes I would, like, write stuff, and I still do. Like, I'll write a whole sketch around doing something dumb I want to do. So it's, like, actually, like, 
physical. In terms of improv, I actually don't even know if I could improvise anymore. Like in character, I don't know if I could do it normally. Like mm. as we as we learned, I feel like I would break or just give up or who knows, you know, it's been so long. Mid scene, you just go, I'm good. Well, dude, when I do like clown improv now, like if I'm in a bad mood, because it's like a, a different different way of doing things where you're with the audience, there's no fourth wall, you know, like mm. I feel like I sometimes will just be like, no, like I'm not doing this anymore. I can't and I won't because that's my truth right now. <laughs> but that sounds so annoying. But I have done that before where I'll have like a little temper tantrum hissy fit on stage because I just can't do it, you know? Yeah. But it kind of works for that form. <laughs> yeah, does the audience kind of like it that you're like, no, I'm not going to entertain you right now? They can a little bit. I mean, like, if you're kind of, if it's, like, real, you know. Mm. Um, but I think it's ultimately a cop-out. Like, I don't like it when I have, when I do that behavior either. Okay. <laughs> what got you into, into clowning? I was, um, you know, dismissed from the Groundlings world or whatever. Like, it didn't make main company. And I don't know, maybe your listeners will be familiar with that. But that was, that was way back in, like, 2011, 12, maybe? Okay. So I kind of, after that, like, was like trying to make some videos here and there was like working and videos and writing but in terms of like live performance I kind of felt a little bit dead inside or didn't know where to turn because I'd like lightly dabbled in stand-up and would like sometimes be like I'll just try to do that again and it's like not for me and it's not my strength and don't really want to live my life that way I guess like I think to have to be really good, you have to like do it all the time. I don't know. I'm just like, I didn't know where to turn basically. Mm -hmm. And I kind of fell into clowning because I saw Natalie Palamides, who I'm now good friends with, but I was just seeing stuff that she was doing around and it was really blowing me away because it was so like visceral and like she just took up the space and like the audience, rather than like clapping and being like, oh, that was funny. They were like leaning in and like, I was like, what is this? And then sort of like, then I took a class with like her teacher who was like now like a good friend of mine and I work with Dr. Brown slash Phil Burgers and I just fell in love with it and it saved it, it like I feel like it saved my life which is dramatic but at the time I just needed the lessons that it taught me so badly and then I was like reinvigorated. If you could pinpoint a lesson or two that you kind of learned from that that had a bigger effect on your life. Well, one of the main things about clown is that like, is failure is like you love failure and you embrace failure and you like go out there ready to fail and ready to fail big. And that that is better than like protecting yourself, you know, it's like really values vulnerability and failure. And I think at the time, like I kind of felt like a failure in my life, but you learn from doing clown and operating this other way that sometimes when you're sinking in the shit, you know, like you're dying on stage and you're, you're dying, you're dying, you don't know what the fuck to do in your desperation, something comes to you, you save yourself and you don't, you don't know why it's funny and you don't know why it works, but like, it's like kind of like in this shit and in the darkness that you can find gold. And like by teetering this line between like what is really, really bad and what is good. And so I think that kind of like really resonated with me. There's almost more strength to be found in all the failure. Yeah. Especially coming from like improv, you can hopefully try to save yourself. But with sketch, it's like the scene is the scene. You do it the best you can. But we both have done enough shows to where you can bomb and you will bomb. Yeah. But it's interesting with clowning where it's almost like the intention is like 
fall on your face and fall hard because yeah. only after that will like suddenly you'll get up and something magical will happen. But then if yeah. it doesn't, you just keep falling where I think so many other schools of thought are like work so hard that it's now perfect and it's polished. Yeah. 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 And it's like kind of operating outside of that. And also like just the like trying to do something that's so bad that everyone should fucking hate you, but then they love you. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like that's kind of part of it too. But I also I think it just like operates a little bit outside of like logic and like progression necessarily. Mm-hmm. And also another thing that I like about it is it's like kind of like the spirit of a child, the free spirit and playfulness of a child with the discipline of an adult. Like you have to like take that joy, that freedom, that spirit and then like if you're like writing something or building something with clown, you still have to like understand structure and like be disciplined about like what you're doing. You know, I had like made an hour show. Is this the show that you, you took it to the Fringe Festival or you're going to? I did, I did in um, last August. Um, what was that experience like to get to just go to this amazing theater festival and do your show? It was so fucking fun. Like it really was the most rewarding experience. I, I mean, I, I worked my ass off the year before, like having to make the show, not knowing what it was going to turn into, but having the opportunity to go. And so just knowing that I had to get my shit together and make something. And then when it finally came together, truly like a week before I had to leave and go do it in like another country, I was so relieved. And then the experience of like doing it in Edinburgh was like kind of like unbelievably fun and rewarding and it went really well. Yeah, like I had the best time of my life, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> it was so fun. And just, you know, it. I did it every day for a month. I had one day off or like 25 shows in a row. It was really difficult, but also I kind of liked like that schedule of like you have one thing to do today. You have to just, you you know, and I saw other shows and could walk around, but like I knew what I had to do, which was like every day at the same time, like go out and like, give people a fucking show, you know? And it was like, really, I, I mm-hmm. love the schedule of it. And definitely kind of yeah. a nice, like, culmination of your skills and all the hard work and everything to where you're like, oh, yes, this is me. This is a pure form of comedy I like, created by me. And to get to do that at the Fringe Festival is so amazing. It was so fun. Like, I'm glad that I got it in, you know, when I did. and. Yeah, I I feel really great. I mean, Corey Podell, who's been a friend of mine since Groundlings, co-devised a show with me. So she like essentially co-wrote it, even though there's nothing written because I sort of wrote it by failing in front of a real audience like over and over and over. And, um, you know, I'm just really lucky also to have like people that I work with that know me really well that mm-hmm. can help me in that way. Yeah, yeah I feel like yeah. that's been a prize saving grace throughout these many years of like, you really truly find your people. Yeah, no, we have such good buds and I've said it before and I'll say it again. Like that's my greatest like gift in this life. I feel like is like the people that I'm get to call my friends and that I've been friends with mm-hmm. for a long time, you know, you know, and yeah. it's, it's nice. I'm nervous on this podcast when I run out of friends to talk to and I have to talk to strangers about it. I'm like, oh. No, you'll, you're doing okay. great. It'll be great. You, and also, it's like, I feel like you're, it's going to take you a while to like run out of friends, you know? Oh, nice. Thanks. You'd be surprised. <laughs> I'm, I'm coming from the end. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, there's, 
We're running, we're running low. Speaking of friends, this is now the time I invite my good friend, famed insult comic Raz Clifford to come in. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is something he likes to come in for every guest to, to razz the guests and take them down a peg before they get too famous. <laughs> I said a lot of dumb shit already. I'm scared. <laughs> oh, it's okay. Everyone's been like, oh, he's been not so bad. So let's, let's okay. get Raz out here. Oh, hello, folks. Oh, my God. Courtney? Really? She's the guest, Daniel? <laughs> you couldn't find anyone else? Seriously, anyone would have been better than this person. No, I'm kidding, Courtney. I'm kidding. <laughs> I, lo- I love that one character you do. You know, the one. Oh! But seriously, Courtney is trying to do something very difficult in this business, which is to get work while being unlikable and supremely untalented. <laughs> It's amazing to see her struggle. And I would like to applaud you for that. And by applaud you, I mean hurl a brick at your face. Well, it's maybe not the raz you wanted, but it's the one you deserve. There you go, Courtney. Never talk to me again. Oh, my God. Okay, see you, Raz. Just a quick little... Roasted. Yeah, you just got you so good. God damn. (laughs) See, but it'll be good for me, you know? It's like... Mm -hmm. It'll be good for me. It'll be good for my art to be taken down a peg. Yeah. It's all for my art, you know. Every, everything <laughs> you suffer. do. Courtney, yeah. if I can say that about you, everything you do is for your art. Yeah. Every exactly. moment, every time you're by the pool. It all goes into my bullshit art. <laughs> <laughs> but if, if you weren't acting, would there be another thing you'd want to do? Like, is, has there been any other field that you're like, you know what, that is of interest i think like at the in, in my real life right now if it was like court we got to come up with another plan <laughs> you know like <laughs> i might like go into like therapy or some shit you know because i like my therapist i i think the i think the work of having to listen to other people and like keep gossip to myself which i know that's not what therapy is but the if you think about it that is what it is and i think that i could endure and enjoy that you know yeah. but I don't know. Like, there's also another part of me that's like, would want to like be like working on outside or like on the land. But I think that's a romantic idea of myself, probably. Well, I'd also say a good thing for you would maybe be like pool builder. I don't want to build it though, but maybe I could. But be... then, if you could, then you know how to, and you can make yourself a pool whenever. Exactly. I mean, if I would do like outdoor manual labory, like or gardeny type stuff, if somebody else told me what to do, but I don't know how to do any of that shit. Gotcha. I can follow directions badly and be pleasant while I'm doing it. Okay. Which is why you know maybe actually the plan B is to just be like a wife and mother. <laughs> But but I honestly, like, I, I think at a certain point, I would be happy, like, raising my children, which I don't have and are entirely hypothetical. Mm-hmm. Like, that appeals to me now, too, is, like, ha- you know, again, like, having a little nest egg or whatever to, like, be able to be, like, yeah, I'm going to, like, have babies and, like, chill with them for, like, five years and, like, be a mommy. Because mm-hmm. I think it's, like, I don't know. I don't feel – I wouldn't feel – like I wasn't doing anything if I was doing that. Oh no, and that's insanely important. So that's you know, yeah, yeah, great thing. It, it it appeals to me, and I admire it. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you thought like how many uh, hypothetical kids you want? Are you someone who's like, give me fifty kids? Let's just start. No, 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 no. I mean, I don't think I will enjoy all aspects of motherhood, but mm. I do. You know, I think two to three, okay. not one, not four, great. or above. Great. Yeah. 
Now, growing up, was it just two of you or the three of you? Three, three, yeah. That always seems to be the case. Like, however many you grew up with, if you had, like, a good home life, you tend to be like, yeah, that seems right. That seems like a good number. Well, I think it's, like, kind to your children to give them siblings because when you, you know, definitely become, like, a more intense version of yourself as you age, you know, you're going to be a pain in the ass and, like, they have to take care of you. It's, like, nice to think about that they can sort of complain about you together and stuff. Yeah, it's you a know. it's a built-in team. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I still have to master the whole like relationship thing, you know, like hmm. and I really like you know, I'm a strange woman and <laughs> I don't know if anyone's brave enough to wife me at this point, but uh <laughs> I hope that they're out there. There's someone out there for okay, sure, yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. I think you're being too hard on yourself. You're very wifeable. You got to find a person that is your type of crazy. That's so true. And I feel like you move your head and there's like something like crocheted on the wall that says that, you know? You'll be like, oh, okay. That didn't just come off the cuff. Yes. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, I, I moved my camera a little bit. The whole wall is just covered with word art. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Inspire, believe. <laughs> yeah, it's like a heart pillow. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Now, going through this, I've been asking everyone... Have you ever thought about being a guest on a late night show mm -hmm. and then the story you would tell? Probably talk about Sparkles Angels and like when I was a shot girl, like my first LA job, which was a Craigslist job where I like for commission sold test tube shots to the worst clubs in all of the greater Los Angeles area. And that's what, a Sparkle Angel? Well, okay. So Sparkle was the name of the woman whose company, and you can't see it, but I'm saying there's quotes around the word company. Um, that's what her name legally was and her company was called Sparkles Angels which she ran out of her Studio City apartment with her boyfriend who was like a giant man who looked like a baby who was a former bouncer and it was like a collection of all these like tragic young women who had just moved to Los Angeles showing up at her apartment eating some jalapeno poppers that she had prepared and then like collecting our little baggies of test tube shots to like go to whatever club we had been assigned now eventually through this job I got a slightly better job of like being a bottle service girl at like one of the bad clubs that I was working at but that whole experience was like so funny and and crazy and also sparkle like five years ago was arrested for murder which is the funniest part of the story <laughs> Oh my god. Yeah, like she and her new boyfriend who I'd never met accidentally beat the shit out of somebody like too much apparently is the story. But I just saw something circulating on Facebook whenever this was like years ago um that was like Armenian cracker heiress arrested for murder. I was like sparkle like I I thought she <laughs> she was sort of like a liar so I didn't know if that part of her story was true but I you know some LA publication verified the information but uh but yeah but I was like you know in this woman's house she took me to her acting class once and uh I was just thrust into this really seedy and stupid like area of like LA culture again this is like 2008 2009 the decadent early Obama years <laughs> yeah you felt you felt invincible well yeah like it was like I enjoy you know it was like terrible but there was a part of me that enjoyed the experience of like having to figure out how to like do this and be like I was good at it you know and I was slimy like I had all these schemes like I would like have a shot of just water that I would take over and over again I'd be like buy me a shot too but like 
I wasn't taking the shot because A, I had to drive home and B, then I didn't have to pay commission. I would get to keep the full price of those things because the product wasn't gone, which is probably like stealing and I'm just glad she didn't murder me. But anyway, but it was a weird, it was a weird, funny time. So maybe that, maybe something like that. You had a boss who's now a murderer and her name was Sparkle. Yeah. Like what's not, it has every part you want in the story. Yeah, I guess so. I guess Once so. Once a sparkle angel, yeah. always a sparkle angel. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. Do you ever still chat with the other angels? Do you ever get together and get well, One of them is she got a job at the as a bottle service girl at this club that I ended up working at for like a couple of years, which was like really shady. And she's like a mom now and we keep in touch a little bit. But um, she was like a like Florida, like Miss Tropicana or some shit, you know, like babe with like, big old fake titties, you know, like kind of girl. And uh, she rocked and, you know, like it was nice, like, I guess like I was doing groundings and stuff at the time. So it was nice to like have a separate group of like other kinds of friends, you know? Yeah. I keep it a little bit with some of them, yeah. Oh, very nice. Well, you're like, you're like warriors when you're doing that shit together, you know? You're like coughing at the end of the night because there's like pepper spray in the air. You like look, we would like look over on the floor. There'd be like, fake hair like covering the ground because people were like getting in fights and stuff and we'd just be taking like sweaty cash out of our boots and like counting at the table we ate bowls of plain rice because we were you know what I mean it's like I'm glad I don't have to do that anymore but I'm also glad that I did it (laughs) it was the right time to do it for the right amount of time and then it was like okay exactly Mm -hmm. I mean also I'm sure like the amounts of like like the racism and misogyny of that whole scene like at the time is like hard to fathom anymore but like you know i'm i'm glad i was exposed to it mm-hmm. well yeah it's all part of the wonderful tapestry that is your art exactly yes again it all goes into the art <laughs> well courtney thank you so much for sharing your art with me today on my podcast <laughs> thanks for having uh, me and thanks for just as always being a wonderful fantastic guest and human being do you have anything currently that you're kind of like dabbling or working on or excited about yeah well i with like my larger like clown group i'll say like we've been making some stuff for fx so some of which you can already see we made like six little five minute shorts that are like one shot only and they're all on fx on hulu if you look at the they're in this like thing called cake which is like their late night block but our little section which you can find by itself is called two pink doors and then we made more that are not in that series, but they're part of a new series that will be out at some point. So look for that. Wonderful. That sounds fantastic. Uh, listeners, check out Two Pink Doors and any other clowning work that comes out from Courtney Peroso. And when, when I'm legally allowed to, I'll do my show again, you know? Oh, yes. Our show called yeah. Gutter Plum. But for now, no, can do. So. It's uh, Gutter Plum? Gutter Plum, yeah. Okay. That's just maybe one of the best titles for... A show. <laughs> um, thanks for being on. Thanks everyone for listening. I'm your host, Daniel Acker, and this has been Almost Almost Famous.